Well, I did some traveling this week. Uh, I was gone Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday to DeKalb, Illinois. This has nothing to do with the sermon. It's free. There is comes to you with no charge. Um, Northern, Northern Illinois, I got to see for the first time in my life real snow. You know, we call snow down here, but they had a little dusting of snow Wednesday night. We got up Thursday morning, the car was covered in snow. There was a little bit of light snow all over the driveway and out in the road and all that, and, and they didn't care. They just kept going. Life was what life was. But I, I learned, I'm learning things about people. Uh, you know, maybe it's just an observational thing, but just makes you think. Um, differences in people. When I was raised, I was always told that people from up north, and if you're from up north, this is what we thought of you, uh, you're grumpy, <laughs> you know, and, and a little hard to get along with, and you're sort of gruff and, and a bit abrupt. And then when Anna went up north, we talked about the weather. And then when I went up north, I understand why, and I really do, I think I understand why we have some regional differences there. 13 degrees below zero, if someone stops you outside to talk to you, they are not your friend. <laughs> it hurts to be outside in that weather. You're going from one place to another. Get on with it. Quit holding me up. I can understand it. I can understand it. It was cold. Anna had told me that in Michigan that the cold hurt sometimes, and I didn't understand what that meant until I walked, <coughs> excuse me, walked out of my room on Thursday morning, and that 21-mile-an-hour wind hit, and uh, I understand that cold hurts. So, yeah, I can see regional differences in people. You, you get to meet people up there, and you find out, you know what, they're just like we are. They're no different. They have hopes. They have dreams. They have aspirations. They have hurts. They have everything that we do. So, you know, we're just people. It's all cool. All God's children. Get on with it. So sort of cool. That's free. Uh, just something to think about when you start getting into things with people. Anyway, Steve Yates was my best friend when I was growing up. Uh, before I was uh, sixth grade, Steve Yates and I did everything together. He lived up the street from me. We just, you know, we hung out, we rode our bicycles together. But the thing that we enjoyed doing the most was building huts. My dad would bring work home, uh, wood home from work that they were throwing into the dumpster. And we would collect that wood until we had enough wood to build a hut. And then we'd scrounge up some nails and we'd build it. Now, in case you don't understand the concept of a hut, a hut is what we now call a playhouse. You know, those things that you spend lots of money on for your kids and they're made out of plastic sometimes or fancy wood. And they got all this stuff. Our huts were made out of scrap wood that dad would bring home from work and then nails that we would scrounge from wherever we could find nails and they didn't have to be straight nails. Get a nail. I don't know if any of you guys ever did this. You older guys might have done this. All the nails you had were used nails so you'd get your brick and you'd get this nail that's shaped sort of like this and you'd take a hammer and you'd tap it till it was about straight. And it really takes a lot of skill to drive a nail that's not exactly straight. So we got good at that kind of thing. One day we decided that we were going to step it up a notch and we're going to build a tree house instead of a regular hut. Now tree house, y'all know I've explained to y'all that I'm afraid of heights. I have this phobia, don't like to be off the ground, love to fly, hate to get on ladders. 
So the treehouse was about this high. And we got together, decided we were going to camp out in a treehouse that night, and we went to work. Got our saws, got our nails, got the measuring tapes, did all the stuff we needed to do. And we built this little three-sided treehouse, and we found some plastic that we helped put over the top of it for a little tarp roof. We put some little sides on it. And that night, Steve Yates and I camped out in the treehouse. Now, as an aside, I want you to think about this for a minute. Steve and I quit being close friends in the sixth grade. That would have been 12 years old. We slept in the backyard by ourselves at 10 years old. That mother up north got almost thrown in jail because she let her kids walk for a mile. Heavens to Betsy, they probably would have shot my mom and dad if they had known they were letting their 10-year-olds sleep out in the backyard. But that's what we did. Next morning was a Saturday, and Daddy had a Saturday off for once. He comes out and looks at it. He says, you boys think you made this thing pretty sturdy, didn't you? I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir, we did. And he took a hammer, and of course, you know, I hadn't put the hammer up. It was still laying on the ground, and he picks the hammer up, and the main support beam that was up there, he takes it, and, and I don't mean he drew back. I mean he just went, boop, and that treehouse collapsed to the ground. Now, folks, I understand what we talk about self-esteem and all that. Dad did not care about my self-esteem. <laughs> he helped me understand just how little I knew, and I know this, I remember it like it was yesterday. Let's fast forward a little bit, five, four or five years. I'm a high schooler now. I've taken mechanical drawing, a little drafting class, and I loved it. I watched Daddy build a number of huts and a number of little storage buildings over the years since that great treehouse collapsed. The family needed a new storage building since it seems that my younger brother burned the other one to the ground. That's a good story, I'll tell you that one one of these days. So I designed us a new storage building. I drew it on paper. I, had, uh, I, I built all the trusses for the roof all by myself. My uncles and my dad and I got out together and we built this storage house. I was 14 years old at the time, right around 14 years old. 58 years old now, they still use that house for storage. From a tree house that fell to the ground to a house that stood pretty much the test of time, what's the difference? What's the point of this story? It comes from our scripture, 1 Peter, 14, 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. Let me read it again just to refresh our minds. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy... You also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. All right, let's do a quick review. This is built off of last week's sermon. Last week's sermon, we began talking about Christian character. We defined Christian character as how we think, how we feel, and how we behave. All of those are wrapped up into our character, how we think, feel, and behave. And we said that the first step in having Christian character is to make up our mind to have Christian character, to make up our mind to live like Christ, and then to focus our attention on the grace of Christ so he can empower us to have that character. We said it's a two-way street. I can't just make up my mind to do it. I make up my mind, but I also look at the one who is my example, who I'm imitating, and who is going to empower me to have that Christian character. So there's the review. Let's look at what it's going to take 
to live with Christian character. Three words get us off the runway. He says, as obedient children, ask you a ridiculous question. Were your children born obedient? Hmm? Were they? Little angel child came out of the womb saying yes ma'am and no ma'am, didn't it? Uh-huh. What's the third word the child learned? First word, mama or dada. Second word is mama or dada. And the third word is yes sir, Bob. That's right. Third word is no. And it takes a long time to create an obedient child. Because for the longest time, the word that comes out of their mouth, come over here and get something to eat. No. Come over here and change your clothes. No. I need you to come get some water. No. And it takes a while to help them understand that if they don't learn to say yes, you will kill them and get another child. <laughs> That's my favorite thing. I know Bill Cosby's in trouble right now, but that thing that he said to, said to his kids, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. Yo, buddy. It takes a while, and that's, that's why I'm thinking that Peter did not use this phrase by accident, that as obedient children, just like children don't start out life knowing how to act, we didn't start out knowing how to act to live with Christian character. I didn't start out knowing how to build a hut. You know, I watched my dad until I thought I was smart enough that I didn't need dad anymore. I got this. I'm going to build me a hut. And I went out and built that tree house. So uh, dad comes and he helps me understand that I'm not really totally an obedient child just yet. I don't know everything. And he did it with one hammer swipe. I watched dad some more. Then I went to con some construction sites where men knew how to build stuff and I watched how they put things together. And then I studied a little bit more in my class and learned how you fit things together. And then when it come time to build a new barn, I built that barn based off what I had learned. I was obedient to my training and now that barn stays up. Peter says, as obedient children. As obedient children, children who trust in Jesus not only to save us from our sins but to change us and to make our lives different. And we're children in that we are now sons and daughters of God. We are obedient children. We are obedient children now. We didn't know salvation. We didn't trust Jesus. We didn't know how to trust Jesus and now we do. As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Your former ignorance. Before you were a Christian, you didn't know how to act. You were ignorant. Peter didn't understand anything about political correctness here. He just lays it right out. We were ignorant. You hear that child simile at work here? Children don't know how to act until they're trained. And Peter's giving us a lesson here. He says, after you've been saved and you've made up your mind, you've set your mind, you're going to watch Christ, you're going to imitate Christ, you're going to have Christ empower you to have that character, Peter tells us what to do, or rather he tells us what not to do. He says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So what does that mean? Take the phrase, be conformed, and put in, that, in place of that, put the word yield or give into. 
Do not give in to the passions of your former life. Think about what we're talking about. Do not give in to the passions of your former life. Now, passions is a neat word. You go to the King James Version and start looking at how it was translated a couple of times in King James Version, and it's got a word in there that if you could get that many letters in Scrabble, you could have yourself some points. The word is concupiescence. Like that one? Use that one in a sentence this week. Concupiescence. You might could get your email written on Bill O'Reilly if you use the word concupiescence this week. Concupiescence. What it, what it also translates as is desire, craving, longing for what is forbidden. And then the biggie word that we use, lust. Lust always brings out thoughts of sex, but that's, that's included in this, but that's not all this word means. Essentially, passions are all of those strong desires that we had before we were saved that took us all over the place. Before we were saved, those things that we would follow, that we would look at and we'd think to ourselves, if I could do that, if I could be that way, I'll do this, I'll be happy, I'll be successful, the world will be good. That was a passion that took us all over the place, not taking us where we needed to go, taking us where we thought we wanted to go. Sometimes it was sex. Sometimes it was greed. Sometimes it was popularity. The list could go on and on and on. Passions are all of those things that we chased to make us feel happy. Passions are all of those things that we chased to make us feel like we were somebody. Think about how we've acted in the past. And think about why we did the things we did. We either thought they were going to make us happy or we thought they were going to make us somebody. If I do that, I'll be a part of this crowd. If I do that, then he'll like me or she'll like me or I'll be popular. Or if I do that, then I'll be seen as the person at work that's got it going on, that I'm the man. If I do that, something is going to happen. I will be happy. I will be somebody. But we're children of God now. We are somebody. We don't have to chase those things anymore. But, largest three-letter word in the dictionary, but, just because we're saved doesn't mean those passions just go poof and they're gone. If we did, every Christian in the world would live a good Christian life, would live with good Christian character, and I hate to break this to some of us, but you don't got it. We want to think that we are perfect. We are not. Every one of us in here, we know, every one of us in here, every single one of us have those moments where we will yield, we will give into some passion that we've got. We give into the desires we had before we were saved that made us feel like somebody. I want you to think with me for a minute. Your passions. What were your passions? What were your passions? Think about the things that you dreamed about. Those things that burned in your heart that you wanted to do so badly. And just because you've become a Christian, those, those passions didn't go away. Sometimes they still want to burn in your heart a little bit. Things that at the weirdest time, tell me I'm wrong. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I need a little help here. Those things that at the weirdest times and in the weirdest places, they pop up into your mind again. You know, it's like being on a diet. 
And everywhere I go when I'm on a diet, somebody's eating ice cream. I don't care because I love ice cream. Give me butter pecan, strawberry, pistachio, and get your hands out of the way or they'll get bitten because I'm going so fast to get to it. Love it. That's the way these former desires work in our minds is they sit in the background sometimes and at the weirdest times they pop up. But listen to what Peter says. In the passions of your former ignorance. Our passions, those things that burned in our heart that we wanted so badly because we didn't know any better because we were ignorant then. We were undisciplined children crying for whatever would, that child thought would make them happy. You've been in the grocery store, right? And that poor mama that's got the kid that decides the kid's been an angel all day long. You mamas know, <coughs> excuse me, you mamas know what I'm talking about. Kid's been an angel all day long. You, could, you, you laid them down, they went to sleep. Set them down to eat, they ate, didn't say a word, didn't spit up, didn't drool, didn't do anything. Messed up their diapers on cue. Everything's fine. And you go to the grocery store. And you get them in the grocery store and everything they see. Ah! Right? And of course, I'm the guy in line behind them going, could somebody please get some duct tape? The kids just, right? Right? We were undisciplined children. That's the image. We were undisciplined children crying for whatever we thought it was going to be that would make us happy. We were ignorant to what would truly make us happy. You're not ignorant anymore. You know better. You've been saved. You aren't just going to heaven when you die. You are changing now. Your heart is becoming different. Your desire is more for Christ. You want to live like Christ. You want to think like Christ. You want to relate to people like Christ. You want to live your life like Christ. You want to be free. Listen, listen. You want to be free to laugh and love and care and have a purpose, and have a goal, and have a real lasting meaning in your life, just like Christ did. Those things that you craved before, you now know they were illusions of happiness that you almost sold your soul for. But Christ is what you were hungering for. And you're not ignorant anymore. As obedient children, he says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. To quote the rock band Boston, don't look back. Don't look back. Don't yield. Don't give in to the passions you had when you were ignorant, when you didn't know Christ. Don't look back. Now why? Why though? Why not? I can tell you from my own life, some of those things that I once burned with passion for, they are still attractive and I can see those things pop up at the most inopportune moment. And I know that if I tasted those things, it would blow my life apart. And yet the attraction's still there. Well, now how come I can't dabble in them just a little bit? I got grace, right? Once saved, always saved. Whoop, whoop, Baptist motto. Why can't I dabble in them just a little bit, you know? We've said, we've said, I've said in this pulpit, 
that my sins, when I become a Christian, are forgiven past, right? Present, right? And future. I don't have to be saved again to get rid of my future sins. I've said from this pulpit that when God looks down from heaven after I've become a Christian, he looks at me when I've trusted Christ as my Savior, when I trust Christ to do the things that he says he's going to do, that when God looks down at me, that he doesn't see that sinner anymore. He sees Randy, a child of God, that he is trying to turn into an obedient child conformed to the image of his son Jesus. So what does it make, what difference does it make if I give in for just a minute? You know? Everybody else is doing it. Why can't I go see what everybody else is seeing? Why can't I taste just a little bit of what everybody else is tasting? If I make some of the same life choices that other people are making that are making them happy, why can't I do that? He says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conducts since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy in all your conduct. In all of your conduct. That phrase sort of expands to mean all the practical concerns of your everyday life, in your work life, play life, your family life, your love life, in all of your life. As a father, mother, son, daughter, grandfather, grandmother, as a worker, a boss, a business owner, an unemployed person, a retired person, a disabled person when you're at the grocery store, on the lake fishing, in a deer stand, at the duck blind going to class, studying, dating, being married, making a living, spending money, buying things, giving things away, keep on with the list in the practical concerns of life in all of your conduct, be holy. Now, here's what I want us to understand. I don't want you to leave here being stupid. I use that word on purpose. I know some of you don't use it in your home because it's a bad word. I want you to understand in those terms, don't go home stupid. Don't go home thinking that to be holy means that I've got to walk around funny. That I've got to be like one of those preachers that walks around like he's just a a hair above everybody else because he does everything just right. And that I always speak in muted tones. And that I always respond calmly in every situation. That I'm this way all the time. And when we say holy, that's what we think, isn't it? That when we say holy, we're thinking, I've got to act like I think we're supposed to act in church. All the time. So when I get to work and the boss gets crazy, I've got to sit there with my hands folded and sing Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Holy means simply this. Dare to be different. Different. Jesus was different. And because he was different, and because we imitate Jesus... Because that's where we get our Christian character from. If he was different, then we've got to be different. Listen to me. You are not like everybody else. 
If you're a born-again Christian, you are not like everybody else. Everybody else is still looking for the answer. They're still looking for that thing that's going to make them feel like they've done it, like they are at the right place. You know this minute, this day, in this place, that all of the junk that you've accumulated, all of the people you've pursued, all the people you've used, all the efforts you've poured into becoming whatever it is that you want to be when you grow up and I know at 58 I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up and I have a feeling that some of you 80 year olds are still wondering what you're going to be when you grow up all that we've poured into that all of those things are passions of our former ignorance at one time they gave us some fleeting satisfaction but they always and you know I'm telling the truth they always left you wanting more but you're different now you are different now you understand now that the smell of your lover's perfume will never compare to the smell of your God-given daughter's cheek as you kiss it goodnight at bedtime you know now that the career that you've sacrificed everything for will never compare to the lingering hug of a godly husband or a godly wife who loves you more than life itself, who loves you only a little less than they love God. Now you know that all of those things that you chased so hard, that had so much promise, you know those things will never deliver and they won't deliver because you aren't ignorant anymore. You know the truth. Live by the truth. You've been saved by Jesus. He is different. You are different. Different is good. Different is who we are. Peter says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Don't settle for less. Don't settle. And don't look back. Embrace your destiny as a Christian. Embrace your destiny and be different in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And Father, we pray this morning. We pray this morning, Lord, that the message would sink into our hearts. That we would think about, each and every one of us, would think about who we were in our former lives. The things that we chased, about, chased after. That, Lord, even after we've accepted Jesus or as we trusted Jesus as our Savior, we still go on chasing those same things sometimes. Because we've, we're so set in our minds that that's the way that we're supposed to go. Help us not to be ignorant children. Conform us to the image of your son, Jesus. Father, what would the world be if you stepped into the First Baptist Church of Gray and each person in here was living their lives differently what would our community be what would we be what would our families be father I pray for those in this congregation 
that have not trusted you yet, who may want to, who may not even know that they need to, they can't know unless you call them. I pray, Father, that you call them now, that you've brought them to this place. You didn't bring them here just to be bored by a preacher for half an hour. You brought them here to hear something. And I pray, Lord, that they will hear that you have called them to salvation and to be people who will change the world. Help us not to be ignorant children this week, Lord. Not to give in to the passions of our former ignorance. Empower us to be holy. In Jesus' name, amen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's as simple as that. Jesus is calling out to you this morning, if you have never trusted him to be your savior, if you have never placed your trust in the words that he said and the promises he's made, I implore you this morning to do that. And then follow him in baptism just like Jackson did this morning. That you make a profession that says, I was living in ignorance. I was trying to make my own way apart from the way you were trying to get me to go, Lord. I repent from that. I'm changing. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to follow you. And wherever you take me, that's where I'm going. Because I know it'll be best. I implore you to make that decision. If you want to join First Baptist, you can come forward and do that now. The altar's open. You can come to the altar and pray if you want to. Pray where you are. You've got a hard week coming up. Everybody does. If you've got to go to work, if you're a grandparent, if you're retired, there's still a million things that are going to call out your name this week. Take a moment and speak to the Lord.